0: Well, good evening, everybody. It's really, really good to be with you tonight. And uh, it brings me great, great joy to invite you and ask you to open up your Bibles, believe it or not, to the book of Revelation. Go ahead and find your place there. Revelation chapter one is where we're going to start tonight and find your place there. Before we dive in and wrap up this series where we've been for the last 10 and a half months as a church, I want us to pray together for alex and lily and uh, just again acknowledge what we just witnessed in baptism and anytime we see baptism again want to remind you uh, baptism doesn't save anyone but baptism is a public declaration that someone is a follower of the lord jesus it's also something that, that identifies someone with the body of christ the church So I want us to pray for Alex and Lillian and just pray for their journey of faith and uh, just so grateful to see their parents investing in them and discipling them and seeing them come to faith and uh, continue to walk with Jesus. So would you bow your head with me? And again, don't just listen to Pastor Mike pray. You pray for Alex and Lily and this new journey of faith that they're on as part of our church. Well, Father, thank you for tonight and uh, God, just overflowing with joy and gratitude tonight personally, Lord. Thank you where you have guided our church over the last 10 and a half months through your word. Lord, this journey through the Bible has been such a gift to our church. Thank you. And Lord, I thank you for what we got to witness tonight. Lord, I thank you for Alex and Lily. I thank you for their parents that have invested in them. And Lord, I pray now for these two young ladies. Lord, I pray for their joy in Jesus. God, I pray with their church family that they will walk in an abiding relationship with you. Lord, I pray that they will love your people. God, I pray that they will give their lives to live on mission and to make you known, Lord, and you will send them to the ends of the earth to make Jesus known. And God, I pray for the responsibility we have now back to speak into their lives and lovingly lead and direct and rebuke and admonish and love and serve and build them up in their new Faith in the Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you for tonight, Lord. You are good. And I thank you that we can sing as your people. It is well with our soul. And it's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Amen. Whether you're here with us tonight or watching on our worship guide online, Revelation chapter 1. Again, we've been walking for the last 10 and a half months through the Bible series. We began way back in January and we have seen, I hope this has been good for you. I hope it's been a challenge for you. Uh, even if you're not quite finished reading through the Bible, you could, you could finish that up. And I've heard of so many people who've said, first time in my life, I've read through the entire Bible with my church family. What a joy that is, that's something to celebrate. But we have seen and been reminded that the Bible is ultimately one story of God's redemption of fallen humanity through Jesus Christ. We started all the way back in Genesis, and we saw Jesus as our creator. Through Exodus, we saw Jesus as our deliverer. Then in Joshua and Ruth, we saw Jesus as the conqueror. And then 1 Samuel and 1, 2 Samuel and Chronicles, we saw Jesus as the shepherd king. Job and Psalms and the wisdom literature, we saw Jesus as the wisdom of God. Isaiah, Malachi, all through the prophets, we saw Jesus as the faithful prophet. We came to the Gospels and Acts, we saw Jesus as the crucified one and the epistles, Jesus as the head of the church. And now finally, we come to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and we get to see Jesus in all of his glory glory. King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's the point of the book of Revelation. It is a revealing of Jesus in all of his glory and who he is. So Revelation chapter 1 beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read a few verses here in chapter 1. Then we're going to we're going to jump to chapter 19 and we're going to wrap it up in chapter 22. So we're going to cover some ground in the book of Revelation tonight. So hang on. This Look together, beginning in chapter one, verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the thing that must soon take place. Now, I'm not gonna stop a lot here. I'm just gonna try to read this, but the, the word revelation, I want you to know, we get from the word apocalypses in the original language. It means an unveiling. The word revelation is the idea that something which was once hidden is now fully visible. It is the unveiling, it is the revealing of Jesus in all of his glory. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. John is the author of the book of Revelation. John was one of the 12 disciples, as you know, the the disciple that Jesus loved. It was how he referred to himself. John writes this book of Revelation around somewhere around 90 AD. Between 45 and 50 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And John was given the privilege, this is incredible, to write the gospel of John. Revealing Jesus in his humility, in his servanthood, going to the cross, resurrecting. Now John is given the privilege of writing the book of Revelation. Revealing Jesus in all of his exaltation and all his glory. Incredible. Verse 2. John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, even to all that he saw. Now, I know as you read the book of Revelation, there's always a little bit of intrepidation about the book of Revelation, right? Well, there's so much there. There's, it's difficult and it's challenging. But you know, I want you to see verse three. It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. There's a blessing That comes from reading, studying, obeying, hearing the book of Revelation. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. Verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Book of Revelation originally was written From John to the seven churches there in Asia, the postal route, if you will, beginning with the church at Ephesus, six other churches there is a message to these churches and to us as well. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, I love this, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. There's the resurrection. He's the first of many, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. The cross and the resurrection right here in the first few verses. He, Jesus, our savior, the one who set us free by his blood. Verse six, and made us a kingdom, priest to our God and father, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now listen to this promise, verse seven. This is a quote from the book of Daniel written hundreds of years before John wrote this down. About the coming Messiah. Behold. He is coming with the clouds. And every eye. Will see him. If you ever hear a report. That Jesus. Maybe Jesus has come. Maybe he's returned in some obscure place. But the world doesn't know about it. That is a lie. When Jesus returns again. Every eye will see him. even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him even so amen verse 8 i am the alpha and the omega It's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet here, symbolizing that there is nothing that exists outside of his knowledge. There are no unknown factors that could thwart his purpose and his return. He is the beginning and the end. Nothing is known outside of him. He knows all, he is all, he is the beginning and he is the end. Says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, and if that wasn't enough, the Almighty. Incredible first few verses here in the book of Revelation, and we're gonna start here. I wanna give you a really just one big truth that we're gonna pull through tonight that is intended to be strongly encouraging and challenging to your heart from the book of Revelation, and it's this, here's your big truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again, and all God's people should say, amen, come Lord Jesus. Now, just a quick aside before we jump in and walk a little bit through this passage, and then I'm jump on up to Revelation chapter 19. If you all know me, you know that I'm a football fan. I love football. I like to play football. I don't do that a lot because I'm an old guy now, but I like to watch football and as a Tennessee fan and a Dallas Cowboy fan, it's a rough year, right? I love to watch football. My favorite way, there's a couple ways to watch a football game. One way is you can watch it live on television, you know, play by play, and you're up and down with the highs and the lows, and you don't know how it's gonna turn out, and your team's behind, and they fumble, and you don't know how it's gonna work out, and you just kind of have to walk with the anxiety in the moment. You don't know how the end is gonna turn out. My favorite way to watch a football game is on DVR. And my favorite is to watch when I already know my team has won. And man, my team gets behind in the second quarter and they're down 28 points and no problem, because I know how it's gonna turn out. Everything looks hopeless and everything looks lost in the third quarter, my team continues to be behind, they fumble, whatever it is, no problem, I have peace, I'm settled in my spirit, because you know why? I know how that thing's gonna turn out. Listen, there's two ways to live, beloved. According to the book of Revelation and throughout the New Testament, the great hope of the people of God is the sure return of the Lord Jesus. And we can live our lives today with uncertainty, with the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows and the victories and the losses and not sure how it's gonna turn out. Or as the people of God, we live with a settled confidence because we know how the game ends. We know who is the victor We know how history turns out because it is settled in the word of God. God has declared it to be so. Jesus Christ is coming again. Now, the book of Revelation, just again, I shared some things before. Just just so you know, the apostle John wrote this again around 90 AD. He wrote it himself from the island of Patmos. If you don't know that, it's a little history. Verse 9 tells us. John says, I, your brother, your partner in the tribulation and kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus. I was on the island of Patmos, he says, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John, as an apostle and a preacher of the word of God, had been exiled by the Roman emperor to live out there on the island of Patmos. This prison, if you will, rock in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. John's there, not sure how everything's going to turn out. I'm sure having days thinking, man, how is the future going to end? Where is it going to come? I, I, I know the promises of God, and John is entrusted with this vision from God of the future and the sure and confident return of the Lord Jesus Christ. John is called to write this down. It is recorded, then sent to the seven churches, preserved by the Spirit of God. It is the Word of God for us now 2,000 years later to fix our hope, (laughs) to fix our hope on something certain. Anybody here need their hope fixed on something certain? And I do. This revelation is given to us to fix our hope. Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. Throughout the New Testament, the Bible strongly encourages and calls the people of God to fix their hope on this certainty that Jesus is going to return and make all things new, make all things right. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. And just give you a couple verses and then we'll jump back into Revelation. Jesus himself said, And then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Jesus himself made no bones about it, so to speak, that he was going to visibly and literally return to the earth again in glory. Paul calls us in the book of Philippians that this is our eager expectation, the awaiting of our king from heaven. Philippians chapter three, verse 20. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. It's important to remember these days. Our citizenship, first and foremost, is in heaven. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. From which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Jesus is coming again. That is our eager hope and expectation. Titus says this hope, Paul writing to Titus, shapes the way we live today. The reality of the return of Christ shapes and transforms the way we live as followers of Christ today. We looked at this a few weeks ago in our outdoor service, Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, and underneath all of that, looking We live looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. We live looking for the return of Christ. 1 Peter 1.13, where is our hope? Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ When you study eschatology and you study the return of Christ, one thing that you're challenged to ask, where is my hope? Is it shifting? Is it changing? Or is my hope fixed on the sure and certain return of King Jesus, who will make everything right? Now here's what I'm gonna do in just a few minutes. We're gonna ask a few questions about the return of the Lord Jesus from the book of Revelation. Three or four. We'll see how time allows. Who is returning? When is Jesus returning? That should be good. What will happen when Jesus returns? And then finally, how do we respond to this incredible reality that the book of Revelation lays out for us? All right, so four questions very quick. Number one, who is returning Now, you say, Pastor Mike, why would you even bother to ask that? It's kind of silly. I wanna remind you of something tonight. Anytime we study eschatology, we study the end times, the last things, there's a great temptation to want to begin to study all of the events, all of the timelines, try to figure out all the symbols, and we miss the reality of who is coming. I Wanna let you know tonight, I don't have any timelines, I don't have any charts, I don't have any graphs, sorry. Here's what I want you to know. The revelation, Revelation chapter one, verse one says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the hero and the centerpiece of the Bible, the hero and the centerpiece of the book of Revelation is this, Jesus Christ. And he is returning again. That's the big truth I want you to know. That's the point of the book of Revelation. He is coming. A lot of details surround that. A lot of speculation from some, even some disagreement among believers. Here's what's not in disagreement among believers. Our king is coming again. Jesus is returning. Secondly, when is he returning? Well, if you don't know, it's going to be April 14th, 2021, right? The day before tax day. So you don't have to worry about paying taxes. Jesus is coming the day before tax day. Up to this point in human history, you might want to make note that every date setter is dead wrong. Every person who's ever attempted to set a date for the return of the Lord Jesus has been totally wrong. What's the point? We don't know. The Bible has not told us the time of his return. Matthew 24, 36 says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Revelation chapter 1, we just read, said, However, these things must soon take place. The time is near. So how do you reconcile these things as we study eschatology and as we read the book of Revelation? Here's some helpful balance for you. The Bible presents the return of Christ as imminent. It could happen today. He could call the people of God out to meet him in the air, 1 Thessalonians 4, and thus we will always be with the Lord. That could happen today, but it might not. And that's the balance. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gives two parables right back to back in what's called the Olivet Discourse when he's telling of the things to come. One parable is of a wicked servant who lives as if his master will never return. And when his master returned, he's surprised by his return. Jesus says, don't live that way. Then he tells the parable of the 10 virgins who were surprised when the bridegroom delays and doesn't return. Don't live that way. What's the point? Jesus and the Bible present it this way. We live with a vigilant awareness that our master could return today, but we continue living faithfully even if he doesn't. He might not. We don't know. But we do live with this assurance, beloved. Jesus is going to return again. So we know who's returning. We don't know when he's returning. What's gonna happen when he returns? And you know, we could spend the next 10 years talking about all of that, so cut me some slack on what we covered, what we don't cover in this, but I want you to take your Bible and flip over to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. The Lord Jesus Christ will return again. What are going to be some of the events that are, uh, some of the realities that are going to happen when Jesus returns? Look at chapter 19, verse 11. Again, John there on the island of Patmos. John suffering there for the, for the sake of the Lord Jesus is given this incredible revelation of Christ and the future and his return. He writes this down. And he says this, verse 11 Then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. The one setting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Note that, we'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems, not just one crown, many crowns, all of them. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. What is that name? (laughs) No one knows but himself, what's the point? There are realities about the greatness of our God that we'll never fully know. No one knows but himself. He is clothed in a, white, in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp, two-edged sword, with which he will strike down the nations Those nations that we read about in Psalm 2 that rage against the Messiah, rage against the king. Now he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So what I want to do is I want to give you three quick, big ideas that flow out of this passage and then lead us into chapter 22. What are going to be some realities when Jesus returns? Three things. Number one is this big idea. Jesus will righteously judge and carry out divine wrath. (laughs) Jesus will righteously judge and carry out divine wrath. There will be a day in human history when righteous judgment will be meted out on the earth. When justice will be perfectly executed on the earth. It is not today. Justice is twisted, justice is distorted, we know that. But there will be a day when Jesus will come and righteous judgment will be meted out on the earth. All sin, all evil, all the injustices, all the wrongs will be fully exposed and righteous judgment will be carried out. Verse 11 says, and in righteousness he judges perfectly. He is not deceived. He is not swayed by one side or the other. He judges in perfect righteousness. Listen, Jesus Christ alone is capable of perfect, righteous judgment. Only Christ. Verse 12, his eyes are a flame of fire. What does that mean? There's nothing hidden from him. He sees clearly into your heart and my heart and the hearts of men. The wool cannot be pulled over his eyes. No one can deceive. No one can con. He sees perfectly as things really are. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword. His judgment will be based on the word of God. Perfect righteousness. He will tread down, verse 15, the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God almighty. This is a vivid picture of the future of the world as we know it. There will be a day that the righteous and just and fully deserved wrath of God will be poured out upon all man that day's coming and every person will stand before the great white throne of judgment to give an account for every sin and every wrong every person except this is good don't miss this don't misquote me every person will give an account for every sin every false word every act of wickedness they've ever committed except for those who have placed faith in our sin bearer the lord jesus christ because what's this it was on the cross that your justice was met in the body of the lord jesus christ it was in christ that the full wrath of god was absorbed for the redeemed who would place faith in christ so if you're a believer you read this and you cling You're reminded again, thank God for grace and the cross of Christ and the justice that was poured out there, the wrath of God that was absorbed by the Lord Jesus, thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. My standing is in Him and Him only. And watch this, at the same time, you've got to read Revelation 19 and realize any person not in Christ, not by faith trusting Jesus, Their future is sure and certain judgment and absorbing the wrath of God in a place called hell forever and ever and ever. So the people of God are to read the book of Revelation and be encouraged by our great Savior. But our hearts are to be broken for those who don't know Christ. Their future is certain unless they hear and they believe and are transformed. So first, Jesus Christ, when he returns, will righteously judge and carry out divine wrath on the earth. Secondly, Jesus Christ will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible says that he comes and there's a name written upon his thigh, a banner that he has that declares to all the world. This one, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. This one is the one who is declared by God Almighty to be the king, the Lord above all the earth. He first came in obscurity as a suffering servant. He came as the suffering one to die. He came as the one who who was nothing notable to look upon. But man, when Jesus returns, every eye will see him and everyone will know he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords there is going to be a public full revealing of the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ over all of creation and it will be on full display someday. Watch this. Those who reject Christ now and say why in the world are you giving your life and following some rabbi, some Jewish guy from Israel who was put to death, why in the world would you do that? There will be a day that every eye will see him and every knee will bow because everyone will know he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. All will see that. See, listen, beloved, I want to remind you of something that's a reality. As believers today, right here today, you and I, we follow a king who has not yet been publicly coronated as king. We follow a king trusting that he is who he says he is. It has been declared by his resurrection that he is God's anointed one, but we are waiting, you and I are waiting for that day that all the world will see Jesus as we know he is by faith when he is crowned publicly King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is a day when our King will be publicly coronated Today, you and I follow in faith waiting for that day. The world doesn't understand it. It doesn't make sense. Why would you place your faith in this Jewish dead rabbi? Because he's king of kings and lord of lords. And one day the whole world will know it. As you were reading through the Bible and we were reading through Bible 2020, you came across an illustration of this in the life of David. David was privately coronated and anointed as king by Samuel years before he was publicly recognized as the king of Israel. And between the time of his private coronation and his public coronation, hundreds began to follow David, David's mighty men, right? And as they followed him, they were believing that one day this little shepherd guy is going to be king of Israel. In the same way you and I follow Jesus by faith today, knowing because the word of God declares it to be so, one day the whole world is going to see him publicly coronated king of kings and lord of lords. And Jesus says his people will reign with him. We will reign alongside our great king, king of kings and lord lords, 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. So Jesus is gonna carry out righteous judgment and mete out the wrath of God on a deserving world. Jesus is going to come and his reign as king of kings and Lord of lords is going to be on full display. And thirdly and finally tonight is this, when Jesus returns, and this is so good, Jesus will make all things new. Revelation chapter 21, just turn there with me, beginning in verse one. I want you to see this. The Bible declares some things that are reality when Jesus returns. Revelation 21 says this. John, again, given a vision. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. First heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. This word new here means qualitatively transformed in a fundamental way. You and I live in a fallen, broken world that no aspect of this creation whatsoever has not been affected by sin. None of it. Everything decays. Nothing works as it should. We are fallen. The whole creation groans, Romans 8 says, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. But there is a day when Jesus will come and make all things new. And we know there's some things in the new creation that's coming that will be in the new creation. And there's some things that will not be in the new creation. He tells us that down through this passage. Verse 1, he says, there's not going to be any more sea. Say, oh man, what does that mean? No Myrtle Beach in heaven? No, that's not what that means. To the Jew, the sea represented a place of chaos, of rebellion, of danger. In other words, all of that is gone in the new creation. There's not rebellion. There's not chaos. There's not uncertainty. Not in the new creation. He says in the new creation, verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. By the way, you and I cannot even imagine an existence without death. You and I cannot even imagine a reality without the looming knowledge that we're going to die someday. Our loved ones could die. We face death. It's a reality. In the new creation, the curse of sin is fully reversed. And there is no death. There will be no mourning. There will be no crying. There will be no pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Now listen, I know you and I read that. We read that by faith. Our senses, our mind cannot even conceive of life other than life in this fallen world. But one day we will live in a world without the curse of sin. Come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. The effects of the curse from Genesis 3 that we read all the way back in January together Pain, death, sorrow, mourning, loss, crying, brokenness, all that comes as a sin will be fully reversed in the new creation when Jesus returned. The new creation, verse two says, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What's going to be in the new creation? Here this represents the fully glorified people of god all saints for all time now presented fully glorified the redemption of god is brought to completion the justification the now sanctification and full glorification of god's people is now completed and the father is presenting the redeemed people purchased by the blood of the son To the Son as a gift forever and ever, as a bride. And forever and ever, with full capabilities in our glorified state, we will be able to know Him, love Him, walk with Him, serve Him, and worship Him for all eternity. And by the way, that's what you were made to do. And that's life in the new creation. Verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He, God, will dwell with them. and They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, beloved, we can't hardly get our minds around it. And again, it's very tempting to read Revelation and try to chase all of the pictures and the symbolisms and the timeline and all of that. Here's the greatest reality of the new creation is simply this. The greatest blessing is that you and I, as the redeemed people of God, will enjoy unhindered, sinless, perfect, endless communion and delight in the presence of our God. It's The future of the redeemed people of God. Made possible by the blood of Christ. Secured in the resurrection of Christ. And secure to all those who believe. Our Lord is coming again. He will righteously judge. And he will righteously pour out wrath upon the earth. He will come and establish his reign as king of kings. And lord of lords. And he will come and he will make all things new. Last question is simply this. I'm just gonna invite the team to come on up. How do we respond to all this, brothers and sisters? The Bible says that this was written, given to John. It says right there, uh, and you can flip on over to chapter 22, verse 14. How are we to respond to this? Let me give you three quick words that I think is our right response to the realization that jesus christ is coming in chapter 22 verse 14 we'll just conclude by reading out this chapter and i'll give you a few quick words verse 14 says this blessed blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. What's the first thing I want you to see is this. Verse 14 says, there are some that have the right to enter. Who are those? I want you to be very clear. After reading through the Bible in 2020. After spending this time in Revelation tonight, I I wanna be very clear. I want there to be a time of examination. Where you have absolute certainty that the place of your faith is nowhere but the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And your future and your eternity and your awaiting him is secure, not because of anything you've accomplished, not because anything you've achieved, Not because of how you've been brought up, what you did good, what you did bad, but you have placed faith, you've repented of sin, and you are trusting fully in the person and the work of Jesus Christ who has paid it all. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Second, verse 16, Jesus says, I, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. It's for us. This was written for the people of God. He says, I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Second question, where's your hope? Where's your hope? It's been shaken over the past few months. It's been shaken in 2020. This declares, the Bible calls us to fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us, 1 Peter 1.13, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. My hope is fixed firmly on the reality that Jesus is coming again. Where's your hope? Thirdly and finally, 17, the spirit and the bride, that's us, say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life without price, without price, come. What's the point? Third word, make known. Make known. Who are you declaring the gospel to? Who are those you are taking the message of the gospel to and declaring, come, come, come and drink of the water of life freely that is given by Christ and Christ alone? Who are you sharing the gospel with and making Jesus known? He finishes the book and verse 20 says, and he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your sure promise of your return. Lord, thank you for the sure promise that you are going to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and you will dwell with your people. Thank you for the sure promise that you will make all things new. God, I pray we respond tonight the leading of your spirit to your word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.